It is my privilege and honor to be here tonight in order to bring God's word to his people, the shepherd of God's people. I bring warm greetings from my fellow fellow brothers and sisters from Midway Presbyterian Church. In particular, Pastor Hall was excited when he heard I was coming here and he greets you all and um, I hope that I can serve you well tonight as we meditate upon God's Word. Um, without anything else to add, our meditation from tonight, our preaching, our sermon from tonight comes from the Gospel of Mark. As you can read in your bulletins, you're probably ready to go. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, going all the way to verse 44. Mark 6, verse 30 through 44. Would you please stand as I read God's Word? Um, I think I saw the signal to stand, but and I really appreciate that practice to stand so that we may read and respect and give due honor to God's Word. So remember, as I read and as you follow along, that this is the Word of the Lord. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told Him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And He said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude. And he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place. And already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy two hundred denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups in the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they looked and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men. Please join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you have spoken to us as you once did to Eli, to Samuel in Eli's house. And we ask, Lord, that as you speak, that your people may hear, that the voice of Jesus sound vibrantly and triumphantly over our sinfulness through the preaching of the word. Oh, Lord, show us Christ. Let us behold the glory of his person. 
and his work as your word is proclaimed. May your people be edified and your servants be useful. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasant in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We pray this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, our all-sufficient Savior. Amen. You may be seated, brethren. As human beings, we have something in our framework. We need guidance. We need counsel. We need leadership. And the proof of that is that the Lord who created all things, He also created three most broadly spheres by which He will provide that leadership, that guidance that we all need as part of who we are. He created the state and we have the laws. And I'm not advocating here for any particular administration at all. But we need that guide. We need law. We need order. As Presbyterians, we should know that. We like to do things in order, in decency, right? We need the church, and it is through the pulpit that the Lord raises ministers in order to preach the word to our hearts and to provide guidance for our lives. And even in their studies, they provide counsel to us. The Lord gave us elders to provide rulership and, and leadership in His church. He gave us families, and He structured our families in such a way that we may be able to receive that guidance. I still remember my father's voice giving me the most basic of teachings and teaching me the most rudimentary things in life, and I needed that, and we all did once in our life. Certainly you, my dear children, you do need to hear the voice of your parents. You do need to obey them. They Tell you things so that you may do and so that you, things may go well with you. Actually, we have a phenomena going on in our culture right now and, and commonly known as the gender ideology, which is very pernicious. And um, it's interesting. What is interesting to me in that, in that particular movement is that the people that are involved there and that identify themselves as something different than what they obviously are is that they not only want to have the right to affirm who they think they are, what they think they are, but they also want you to affirm them and to refer to them with specific pronouns or even names that they identify themselves with. And this only shows that even among the wicked, there is something inherently humane in them. They are creatures, they are creation of God, and they have, as human beings, the need for an external affirmation, a voice different than that of their own, guiding them and leading them. So this is the kind of thing that Mark is talking about in our text. The whole gospel of Mark has his agenda set in the first verse of the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Son of God. And what Mark means by the Son of God is not only the Son of God in the sense that all we are who are adopted into Christ in God's family. What a privilege, by the way. But God the Son, not only the Son of God. And that's going to become very clear, especially as the chapters succeed one another. Christ is the one who is baptized and receives the Spirit without measure. He is the one who confronts the, 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 uh, the devil in this, in this gospel, the demons. 
Unclean spirits, as Mark calls them in chapter 1. And they claim that He is the Holy One of God. He is the one who has authority to forgive sins. He is the one who has authority over the Sabbath. He is the one who calms the stormy seas and and its waves. To the point that even in chapter 4, Mark is going to make it very clear that he's trying, what he's trying to show us. And the questions that we may have as readers, if that was our first time reading the Bible at all, is the questions that the disciples are asking in chapter 4. Who is this man that even the sea obeys his voice? And here in our chapter, what we have is Mark adding another layer into Christ's identity. He's explaining us a little bit further. Who is this man? So if you want to know who is this man, and you should know who is this man, this text is for you tonight. Not only for us who are old, but even for you children. Do you want to know who Jesus was? Do you want to know a little bit more about the Jesus, whom you listen so much in the church, you sing a lot of hymns about him. Do you want to know a little bit more about who he is? This text is also for you. What this text is showing us in very clear, even in 3D letters, is that Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. Let me say that again for the sake of the note takers. Jesus is the compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. And this is going to be, these are going to be our two points. Very straightforward. The compassionate shepherd. Second point. The competent shepherd. Let us start off with the compassionate shepherd. Verses 30 through 34. And we're going to see that Jesus is compassionate towards his disciples. Firstly and foremost. But also towards the multitude. Verse 30 through 32, towards his disciples. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and taught. And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. In these verses here, we see that the Lord Jesus Christ shows his compassion towards his disciples. Firstly and foremost, in receiving them. Sinners undeserving sinners. He receives them in His presence after having commissioned them. In desiring to have fellowship with them, He wants for them to set a time aside so that He can enjoy fellowship with them. And they, firstly and foremost, can enjoy that fellowship with Him. And why he wanted to go to a deserted place? Because the text explains to us and makes very clear. Because there were many, so many coming and going that they did not even have time to eat. Why were so many people coming and going to those bunch of simple men who had not external imponence to their own? We know by the previous context, the previous passages in the book of Mark, that Jesus had commanded them to go preach the gospel, preach the coming of the kingdom, make miracles in His names, better called signs to point to the new era that was being ushered by the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ Himself. And because they were doing so many miracles, people were crazy about them. 
They wanted to follow them. They wanted a piece of the cake. And Jesus takes them on a boat and wants to have, if you will, a one-on-one time with them. A moment of closer fellowship. A moment that many of us have neglected, haven't we? And just in passing, this passage, this passage teaches us that the priority of Christian life is fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, isn't it? This is such a basic concept that is often forgotten. Sometimes we as Reformed people get caught up with so many complicated and intricate concepts and we forget how much need we have to just come aside for a while and have fellowship with our Master, with the Beloved of our souls, to have fellowship with Christ, to report to Him as the disciples should, report them all that they had done and taught. In other words, report to Him how they were discharging themselves of the calling that He had entrusted them with. Have you been reporting back to the Lord? How are you acting as a father man? As a mother woman, as a, as a husband, as a wife, as a student, as a single person, as a seminarian. Are you reporting as a pastor? Are you reporting back to the Lord in prayer? Asking Him for His counsel, for His guidance, for strength, for help. There are times, dear brethren... That you may forget that our religion is deeply personal. We love doctrine and rightly so because our doctrine reveals a marvelous person. The shepherd about whom our text is speaking tonight. And, but we oftentimes treat Jesus Christ as a mere idea. As an abstract concept. Not as someone that we are supposed to commune with. To have a meaningful relationship so that we may become more like He is. Every one of the children of God has received the Holy Spirit through whom you may have immediate access to the throne of grace and have your own moment with the Lord to rest a while. And sometimes, let me tell you this before we move on, the most spiritual thing that you may do is just to turn off your cell phone. And let it go of the distractions. Sometimes uh, we are so busy ministering to others. And we forget to, ministry, to minister to our own hearts. To let the Lord of our, of our souls and our bodies and our whole being minister to us. As we go and have our moments with Him. Attending to others only, dear brothers, is a shortcut for spiritual death. I want you to remember that. But he was not only compassionate towards the, his disciples. Although he was first and foremost. But he was also compassionate about the multitudes. And we saw that in verses 33 and 34. And in the gospel of John. I mean by the way this is the only miracle apart from the resurrection. That is repeated in all the gospels. And this should show us how meaningful this event was. And how many things we may learn through this one 
sign or miracle. For instance, in the Gospel of John, the focus is Christ as the bread of life. Here, Mark is showing us something about his identity, his inner life. The fact that he is the most compassionate, as I'm saying, incompetent shepherd. We know from the Gospel of John that these multitudes were not believers. They were there only to receive the benefits of Christ's ministry. They were there only to receive what he could give. And, 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 and again, this is sometimes how we act when you only care about justification, sanctification. I want to know adoption. I want to know everything I can receive from Christ. But I do not want any fellowship with Christ. We act some like these people when we do such and the, the, the way that John makes clear for us that these people were not believers is that as soon as he stopped giving them food, they left him. And he looks to his disciples and asks, are you leaving too? And then Peter says these marvelous words, to whom shall we go if only you have the words of life? All of that, just to point, Christ is always compassionate towards a multitude, even of unbelievers, or at least a mixed multitude let us observe the actions of this multitude, of this group of people that is described here in the Gospel of Mark. Try to picture that in your mind, because the, 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 the description here in the Gospel of Mark is very graphic. It is almost meant for you to, to think in pictures, if you will. The actions of them, Jesus was taking a, a sidestep with the disciples. He was going away and they were following them. Can you imagine? You had at least 5,000 men, as the last verse, verse 44 of our passage is going to make clear, running after a boat. In that geographic location, there will be a lot of dust going up, children crying. Sometimes you think the nurse is a mess. I mean, imagine this situation. It would be a complete chaos, a, 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 a picture of disorganization, of chaos. And this reveals something to the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and what does that reveal about them? Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep, not having a pastor, a shepherd. They were completely thirsty for that which we all need. Guidance, leadership, and they had none. This passage is, is between two accounts that shows that their, their earthly king, Herod's Antipas, they, he, he wouldn't care about them. He couldn't care less about them. In fact, he had just beheaded John the Baptist. And then in the following, you're going to see how corrupt the priesthood was. So there, the church was corrupt. The state was corrupt. They were looking for someone who would offer them some guidance. And Jesus sees that in that scene. He had compassion on them. Because they were like sheep, not having a shepherd. And that's a very powerful image in the whole of the Bible. In fact, we could go all the way down to the primeval age with Adam and Eve. The Lord was their shepherd. He would walk with them in the garden and guide them. But as soon as they sinned against the Lord, they went away from His presence. And they were like sheep not having a shepherd. And for the sake of time, let, us, let me skip to, to Jacob, one of the patriarchs, who would, who'd, who'd eventually become Israel. 
He, in Genesis 48, he's going he's gonna to utter a testimony that throughout the whole of his life, the Lord has been his shepherd. And then we advance to the book of Exodus. We have Moses, who was a shepherd by vocation. By the way, Moses is going to appear again in our text. Keep that in mind. And then he leads his people out of Egypt in the Exodus. For the Lord has heard the cry of his people. And then when he sinned against the Lord by disobeying his voice, and the Lord said, you will not enter into the promised land. His prayer in Numbers 27 was like, Lord, please raise another leader so that your people will not be like sheep, not having a shepherd. I mean, we know he was talking about Joshua. In that situation, the Lord raised up Joshua. And Joshua led the people into conquering, dividing the land. And actually taking possession of the land. And we read about that in the book of Joshua. And it is excellent. And it's all happy, but no. The period of Judges come. And you know the chant. You know the refrain of the book of Judges. Everyone did what was right on their own eyes. In other words, the people were like sheep. Not having a Shepherd, But then the monarchy comes. And in David, there is great hope. The kingdom is unified as ever. By the way, David is going to appear here too. Moses and David. But then, after a while, the people fall into idolatry again. And they are sent into exile. Once again, the people of God were like sheep not having a shepherd. And, and at that point, as you're reading your Bible, like, is there any hope for such a people? Is there any hope for any of us? Because that's our story, dear brethren. Fall, we stand up again in the Lord. But then the prophets, as they are functioning as prosecutors of God, charging people against their sinfulness, against what they have been doing, they also start to prophesy about something very promising. About a different kind of exodus. About a new and greater exodus where people were going to go away from their oppression and find their way back to God. In a very beautiful passage that is very vividly present here as the backdrop of our text is Ezekiel 34. In Ezekiel 34, the Lord, uh, he charges and condemns the, the, the bad shepherds, the bad leaders of, of their people. Certainly, a, a portrait could be put on these words, referring to both Herod's, Herod and the priests of that, of that time. But then all of a sudden, the Lord says, but I will be among my people, and I will be their shepherd. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. And then by the end of the chapter, the Lord will say, My servant David, I will put him amidst them, and he will lead them like a shepherd. Well, that would raise a question, wouldn't it? Uh, to, about whom are you talking about, Lord? About you or about David? And the, the answer for this question is both. Because here we have the Lord Jesus Christ, who is David's Son, Matthew 1. And who is David's Lord? John 1. He's both. Jesus is both God and David according to the flesh. Another passage that you could see that very clearly is Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 
5. But then that, that, that new and greater David, he sees that crisis. A people that were like sheep not having a shepherd. And what is his first response? So he began to teach them. By the end of verse 34. So he began to teach them many things. And sometimes we miss. I confess that I have missed for a while. Well, the real and more meaningful feeding starts right here. He's feeding them with a bread that cannot perish. He's giving them spiritual food that nourishes the soul, warms the heart, challenges our sinfulness, and transforms lives. He's preaching to them. He's teaching to them. That's what they needed the most. Because think about this. What distinguishes us? What makes us so unique as creatures made in the image of God is our precisely our ability to relate with our Creator. And we do so by the means of Him condescending, descending to our level through this book by which He teaches us many things. Therefore, we should all take heed and listen when God's word is preached. Therefore, we may see why the teaching ministry is the priority of the church. Why, Silas? Because the church is Christ's. And if the church is Christ's, the church's priority should also be Christ's priorities. How often we think about our daily bread... While we forget about the bread of life. On another note, let me challenge you a little bit. Let me be a little bit nosy. Do you care for people? Do you care for lost people around you? Do you have compassion on them? I, I think I already proven you that these are not believers. These were at least a mixed multitude. There were a bunch of unbelievers at least here. And Christ had compassion for them. Are you compassionate of people? Are you orthodox? Great. But couple orthodox with compassion, with love. And you have authentic Christian ministry. We serve a Lord that does not take pleasure in punishing the wicked even. He will because he's just. And he will necessarily do. Do you have compassion for the lost? Christ is indeed a compassionate shepherd who is competent to satisfy all your needs. We have seen that Christ is indeed compassionate. Compassionate towards his disciples. Compassionate towards the multitude. But if he was only compassionate, we wouldn't have much guarantee, would, would we? I think about the many parents that struggle and that even cry every night because their children are lost in the world. I think about many situations in our lives that we would like to fix, but we simply can't because we're weak and feeble and finite. But you know what's comforting? Because this compassionate shepherd, he's not only compassionate... But he's also capable, or the word I used, competent, 
just satisfy all your needs. Let us go along and see how this text shows us that our shepherd is competent. Verses 35 through 44. First, he overcomes all difficulties. And at this point, if you haven't noticed, I have them highlighted here in my Bible. Mark has been using a lot of words, many, a lot, great, large, depending on your translation. But all these words that intensify, even in verse 35 when he says it's late or far spent, is another translation that I see. All these words are the same Greek word that could literally mean a lot. In what he's doing here, he's trying to emphasize that there was a great need. That the need was huge. And what does that mean? That means, just like if you see a lot of weight, you need a strong person to lift a lot of weight. If you see a great need, you need a competent shepherd to address that need. So what Mark is doing is by using his language, he's emphasizing the extent and the greatness of the need. And by doing that, he's emphasizing and actually exalting the one who is about to address the need that is in front of him. And then if you think about it, the suggestion of the disciples makes sense. Oh, I have, what, what do you have? Five loaves and two fish. And I have... 5,000 men, masculine, aside from women and children. I mean, it makes sense. They were like, Lord, they better keep going. We're not going to be able to feed them. And And Jesus Christ is very emphatic. And he says in verse 37, You, that's an imperative here, You yourselves give them something to eat. And that's another particular emphasis that Mark is going to give to this event. That's why it's interesting you compare the differences between the Gospels and how they account the same event. Christ is emphasizing the instrumentality of the disciples. You're going to get there. They were the disciples. However, although their suggestion made sense through a human perspective, they were forgetting the one who was in front of them. They were forgetting the one who had just calmed the sea with his voice. The one who created all things in the space of six six days and all very good. He forgot who he was. Another thing that I want you to notice at this point is that Mark is presenting Jesus Christ. Remember I said that Moses and David would appear in our text. He is presenting Christ as a greater Moses. Remember that Moses in Deuteronomy 18, he said, there will be someone, a new prophet that will come like me. And to him, you should, you must listen. And, and, and how Mark is doing this. Pay attention. Verses 31 onwards, he's going to use and emphasize a lot of times that Jesus is driving the disciples away to a deserted place. Or depending on your translation, to a desolate place. But the word that Mark is using here and repeating often is the word for wilderness or desert. But this is not a desert. 
We know that this is not technically in the wilderness. And how do we know that? Because further along in the passage, we will see that they're going to sit in the green grass. What kind of desert or wilderness has green grass? So Mark's point here is clearly theological. He's trying to bring something to memory. Moses, remember, he fed the people with manna in the wilderness. And Christ is about to feed the people in the wilderness. Therefore, he is the competent shepherd who overcomes any circumstances. But not only that, he also, as a competent, as a, as a competent shepherd, he operates through means. Verses 37 through 41. As I said, there is a unique emphasis that Mars display here in the disciples. He emphasizes, you give them something to eat. Another point that I want you to pay attention is, and I like the New King James here because they, 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 make, they, they do it right in the translation here by using different words. All this group of people, they start as a multitude or as a crowd, depending on your translation again. But then as the passage starts to move on, and as the shepherd starts to act upon these people, you may see that the words to describe this large group of people changes. First you have in verse 39, Then he, Jesus, commanded them, the crowd, and made them all sit down in groups. I mean, groups is a little bit more organized than a multitude or a crowd, right? And then, as you follow along in verse 40, so they sat down in ranks. That's the word that the New King James Version uses. It's another level of organization. So what the shepherd is doing is that he's bringing order as he acts, as he gives command, as he teaches many things. He's bringing order to that community. Remember I said that you would see a little bit of David here. Where did they sit down? In green grass. Psalm 23. And even the verb here that the, the Gospel of Mark uses to describe their activity of sitting down could be very well translated as lying down. So the shepherd is making them lying down in green grass as he prepares a feast for them before their enemies. Hard to get clearer than that, dear brethren. Here is in front of us the greater Moses, the greater David. Christ, David's son and David's Lord, is causing the people to lie down in green pastures as he prepares a table for them. And what is interesting for me, and I hope for you too, the, in, verse, in verse 40, you have, so they sat down in ranks. This word for ranks here literally means garden plots. This is the literal translation of this word. So you have, Mark is, is drawing a picture for us here. We have the desert, the wilderness. We have a green grass. We have the shepherd bringing order, and you have the people in the wilderness described as garden plots. This is so biblical. Remember I said that the prophets 
prophesied about something that would happen. Isaiah 35 verse 1. The wilderness, how Mark described our scenario tonight, and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. All these pointing to a day in which the Christ will feed his people and the feast will have no end. Granted, bread and fish are not technically a feast or a banquet. But remember, Christ is pointing. The miracles are more properly called signs because they point to what he's doing. And then in verse 41, we have the actual feeding. And I want you to pay attention to how this competent shepherd performed the miracle. For he who is wisdom himself not only teaches us with his words, but even in how he performs his actions. Look how he performed the miracle. And when he had taken the five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves, and gave them to his disciples, just like the language that the pastor here is going to use To talk about the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And looking up to heaven. You can check your Bibles in Psalm 123. 123. It's a language to describe prayer. So he prayed, blessed the bread, broke it, and gave to his disciples. That's the same way that Mark himself will describe how Christ will inaugurate the Lord's Supper in Mark 14. In the way that he does, he looked to heaven, asked his father to bless the bread. And by the spirit that he received beyond measure in his baptism, Mark chapter 1, he performs the miracle. And that's how our triune God acts. From the Father, all things come, James 1, through the Son, by the Spirit. And at this point, I need to ask you this. Do you believe that this miracle happened? Do you believe that this Lord Jesus Christ operated supernaturally in order to bring this multiplication to place and to feed all these people? Because you have a lot of people around you telling, if you believe this kind of thing, you are a fool. Are you willing to be a fool for Christ? Do you love Him? Do you believe in Him? Christ then overcomes circumstances, operate through means, and finally outperforms expectations. Verses 43 through 44, you see that. And there we see that not all the people not only ate, but were filled, were satisfied, couldn't take anymore, to the point that they had 12 baskets full of food. What an abundant provision that we have from this shepherd. And commentators are going to speculate, why 12? I think the reason is very straightforward and simple. As this passage began with a very personal tone, come aside, let me teach you something. He leaves to them a testimony of faith. And as they forget, and as they get desperate again, again in a boat, he's going to question them in Mark chapter 8. Don't you remember what I've just done? How many baskets full of loaves did you have? Twelve. One for each of them so that all of them would have evidence that this shepherd is competent. Can you see how powerful the Lord Jesus is, brethren? 
compassionate, not only compassionate, yes, compassionate, but not only that, also competent, powerful, mighty. Trust in Him. Entrust your whole life to Him. Another thing, can you see how the Lord uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary ends? This sinful man that would come back and forth in their faith, that would fall, that would even deny the Lord Jesus Christ three times as Peter did. He used them for an extraordinary work. As he may use you. I remember a pastor who used to say, the Lord must love ordinary people with ordinary gifts. Because he made a bunch of them. That's true, isn't it? The Lord uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary ends. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Go to Him. Depend upon Him. Tonight, maybe you feel that you are in such a difficult situation, that your need is so great, is way out there. The Lord cannot help me at all. No one can help me. But as we have seen, He is almighty. There's no limits for what He can do. No circumstances are too difficult for Him. And if you still doubt that, let me ask you the question He Himself asked to His disciples. Two chapters I've had. Don't you understand who am I? Do you still not understand? Ephesians 3.20 To Him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power of the Spirit. That works within us. Therefore go to Him and depend upon Him. If you are His sheep, do it once more. And if you are not His sheep, I do not deceive myself. For I was sitting in those spills almost 20 years without being a true Christian. If you are not His sheep, I know you have a need that nothing that you are trying to fulfill with, it's working. Because it's not meant to work. The Lord has made us to Himself. And we are not going to be satisfied with anything less than Him. He's the only one who can satisfy all your needs. And the reason I know that is because He is all that you need. Just like the bread was broken, His flesh was open. To the cross of Calvary as a payment for his sins. Perhaps you are coming to the church, but you have not been in fellowship with the Lord. You still doubt your salvation. Let me tell you now, repent, for the kingdom is at hand. There is no sin that is so great that is beyond God's forgiveness. But at the same time, there is no sin so small that cannot put your, yourself entirely into hell. For an everlasting period of time. And I can guarantee you. As your conscience. If you are in hell. You will remember. You have time to remember. All the sermons you have ever heard. And you will remember these words. Your Savior calling you. Feed upon me. If you just eat the bread of life. You will have a purpose in your life. He will become your shepherd. He is indeed all you need. For all of those who are in Christ, we do have a shepherd to guide and lead us. In Jesus Christ is a compassionate shepherd. 
who is competent to satisfy all our needs. And if you are in Him, do not fear. For though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, His rod and His staff will comfort you. And in the end, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If you but come to Him now as He is freely offered. Let us pray. Heavenly Father and glorious Lord, we thank you for this night that we can worship you. (coughs) We thank you for the blessing of having your word for us and unto us. Lord, show yourself to be our shepherd tonight. If there are people doubting, Lord, of you, may your almighty power of the Spirit overcome all circumstances, even a broken heart, a hard heart turning to a heart of flesh. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the opportunity that we have to come into a church and worship you, Lord. You have done so many things for us, and we still flee from you. Bless your words. Make it fruitify, Lord. Use it powerfully in the, in the lives of my brothers and sisters here. To the glory of your name. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.